because I said so, leadership is never good leadership. All right. You should be able to explain the why as an officer. An officer should never lose their patience with firefighters asking why. No, we do at the beginning of class. We 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 tell them, you know, like what the deal is. You know, if, if you're transparent, your people shouldn't have to ask why. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Here we go. It is Corley Moore, Firehouse Vigilance, Weekly Scrap, number 197. My guest tonight is Anthony Avila. He retired as Deputy Chief of North Hudson, New Jersey, Regional Fire and Rescue after 30 years in the fire service. He is the author of the book, Fireground Strategies, which is close to being in the fourth edition. It's had three editions that are amazing. He is the co-author of Full Contact Leadership. Avila is the Region 3 Director of the ISFSI. He is a member of the Advisory Board for Fire Engineering and was the recipient of the 2012. Man, he has the honors, the accolades, the degrees, the papers. And despite all that, he still agreed to come on here and talk to me and have a good conversation. So. <laughs> With all of that being said, uh, I am looking forward to this. My friend, Anthony Avillo, it's my honor and pleasure to have you on as the guest of Weekly Scrap number 197. Welcome, my brother. Thank you, Corley. Thank you, my brother. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, it was great when when I finally really had a, you know, a, kind of a chance to talk to you down in Orlando. And uh, obviously we'll talk tonight. But, you know, I, I followed your stuff. I've seen uh, how, how, you know, your, your meteoric rise with, with the scrap. I followed the scrap and, uh, you know, keep up the good work, brother. It's, it's all good. Thank you. Thank you very much. Is there anything I missed in the intro? Anything you want to add, uh, that I left out? I got two beautiful daughters. Nice. Very nice. No, I love that. Uh, there we go. Audience as everybody's logging in, people are logging in as we speak. Oh, Nice. Right? Here we go. Uh, James Mitchellisco says, evening, brothers and sisters. Three bugled firefighter checking in from Indy. Super stoked. Sean Bryan said, let's go. NHRFR, Deputy One from Kevin Cowan. Max, 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 max points. So he's predicting. I, I guess he's predicting you get max, 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 max. I'm, I'm trying Maybe. to get that. <laughs> John Kevin. Patton said, let's rock and roll. Smoothbore Cartel. Kyle Romagus is here. He is grabbing your questions. I'll talk about that in a second. He said, boom, so many people logging in. John Shackelford, two thumbs up. Get your chin straps ready from Patrick Workus. Yes. All right. <laughs> We're getting fired up. Okay. Uh, quick nice. announcements. First off, Kyle Romagus is here in the chat. Please, please, please post your questions for Chief, uh, Chief Avillo and myself. Um, if you have questions, please post them. Kyle Romagus will grab them and throw them at us. Uh, quick announcements. If you want to be a part of the vigilantes, if you want to be a member of the exclusive cool kids club, go to firehousevigilance.com, sign up, uh, become a vigilante. The coolest thing we're doing now, we did it for the first time last week, which is after the scrap is over, when we go off the air, um, we actually stay and talk with our guest. If, if the guest is willing, of course, I haven't asked Anthony yet if he's willing, but, and, and he gets feedback from the audience, uh, and the vigilantes get to sit there and tell them what they thought and, of course, ask questions private. It's the scrap after party is what we call it. Um, cool. So if you want to be a part of that, go to the Firehouse Vigilance and and sign up. Uh, last week's was the first one we've ever done. Tonight's will be the second. Now, on to the sponsors. Pay the bills, and then we'll get to the scrap. 
the OG sponsor of the scrap, Key Hose. Check them out on Facebook. The Hose Experts, Affordable Drill Towers, home of the Affordable Drill Tower and the Affordable Standpipe Prop. Firefighter, owned and operated. Pump and roll using the Affordable Standpipe Prop. The Affordable Standpipe Prop, it fits through most classroom doorways where you can do standpipe theory in the classroom, and then you roll it out into the parking lot and you can pump to it. It comes with six standpipe valves that can be upgraded to PRVs or customized to whatever you have in your jurisdiction. So call Steve, 844-55-TOWER, or drop an email to info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Fire Station Furniture, firestationfurniture.com. They provide a complete line of quality furniture for your firehouse. Firefighter owned and operated. They understand the strain firefighters put on furniture. Man, if firefighters could wrestle in something, they will wrestle in it. Uh, but absolutely, they will put on furniture and offer furniture that's built to last. Visit firestationfurniture.com for more information. And then finally tonight, build your culture. It is dedicated to providing fire service training by building upon the basic core fundamentals taught in recruit training. Build Your Culture's mission is to keep the passion for the fire service alive. The mission is not about what we are fighting against. It is what we are fighting for. So I love Sean Duffy. I love Build Your Culture. So there you go. Sponsors out of the way. And with all that being said, let's fire it up. There's so many people already commenting, Chief. I can't even get to all the comments coming at you. Uh, that's, that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm oh, going to try, try and get a couple of them coming uh you have to be present to command presence. That's a quote of Chief Anthony Avillo coming from James Michalisco. Uh, Rochester, New York. Yeah, there we go. Ch chiming in. All right. So much coming at you. Okay. I'm going to lead off with a uh, quick. I always ask the guests, what do you want to talk about? And my guests always send me a comprehensive list of things to talk about. And I always go through it and pick stuff. But I wanted to lead off with something that Chief sent to me, which was the prime directive. I love this. I really love this. And I want you to talk about it. But the prime directive, nothing can interfere with our ability to maintain the in-service and ready status. So go ahead and, and go with what you mean by the prime okay. directive. Okay, cool. So this uh, this came, it's, it's sort of part of full cultural contact leadership, and it'll be in the in the fourth edition of Five Round Strategies. But, you know, I, I had a mentor by the name of Ed Flood, and Ed Flood was was my captain, and he was he was always one rank ahead of me. Um, eventually he retired as the chief of the department in North Hudson. We wrote the leadership book together and he used to always talk about, um, you know, maintaining your in-service and ready status. And, and, you know, and, and we actually, uh, the, the last class that I had, they actually put it on the back of a shirt and, you know, nothing interferes with your ability to maintain the in-service and ready status of your command, which also includes your equipment, your apparatus, your firehouse, yourself, your people, you know, um, it, it sort of follows the mantra that, you know, that everything you do off duty is designed to meet the prime directive. Because once you go out that door, if you are going out that door and you're not in service and ready, something's going to happen on the fire ground that's not going to be good. So, the, you know, when I, when I talk about this during the class, I'll, you know, my leadership classes and even my command classes in control, um, your job is to be in service and ready. And, and if you're a company officer, if you're a chief officer, you're a firefighter, that's that's really your job in a nutshell because you got one job and that's to get out the door. Get out the door in as excellent a fashion as possible because the people out there, they expect excellence. We're not always excellent, it's a moving target, but that's what they expect. They don't dial 911 
for mediocrity. They expect us to be excellent. So your job in that firehouse is, is to be excellent. And you also want to take that as an officer and, you know, uh, instill that in the people that work for you, because oftentimes those are the guys that are going to notice or see that the in-service and ready status of your apparatus is not, you know, it's it, it's not in place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the idea is that if everybody's working towards that goal, then we're going to go out that door. And we're going to go out that door with excellence. And, uh, you know, because when a curtain goes up, anytime we're less than excellent, it usually takes, you know, more time, more danger, more staffing to get the job done. It, it's hard to, to do a reset. And the, the fire loves timeouts. And we don't have timeouts. It's it's always third and long and we can't punt, you know. So um, if, if you keep that as your mantra as an officer, it, you're, you're more than likely going to uh, be more diligent in your job and and uh, and be better at what you do. Oh, I love that. I love it's always third and long and we can't punt, dude. I love it. You can't. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> so, we, so we run the 32 trap, baby, with a 23 third. dive and we get that first down. First down, just to move the chains. That's right, baby. I love it. Uh, how that applies to firehouse and the pre-response activities? Well, it actually it's 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 really everything. You know, mm -hmm. it's everything. You you can't compromise that that prime directive. For instance, one of the things I talk about in the class, and this is this is like you know, sometimes it flies in the face of your culture. You know. Like, for instance, you get on duty. I don't put my glasses on because I can't see you that well. I look like a doof. Um, uh, you know, you come on duty at 730, right? At quarter to eight, you get an alarm for a report of smoke in a school. And you get in the rig in the right front seat. You're getting ready to go. And you see a guy's walking out of the kitchen. One of them's got a cup of coffee in his hand. The other's got a friggin' newspaper. And they're going over to the rack to get their gear. You know, like like that, that compromises your in-service and ready status. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and that's something that's accepted. You know, where, where do these cultures come from? They come from an acceptance of uh, of well, what, what some people call what the deviation of normal or normal deviation. What, what that, you know, that term, right? No, no, the normalization <laughs> of deviance. Normalization I, of deviance, I, right? Close, maybe. But go ahead. Yeah. Well, well, everybody knows that, you know, getting out the door is the most important thing. We tolerate these things. And now you're looking at probably a you know, a two to three to four minute delay and getting out that door, you know? So, so one of the, one of the things that you have to do as an officer is if there's something that's, that's upsetting and, and infringing on and compromising your in-service and ready status, you got to open your mouth. It may fly in a face of culture, but you know what? Here's another little, little availability. Know why you got these things on your collar? Know what they stand for? They stand for challenge, controversy, conflict, and unpopularity because you put these things on sometimes that's what you're going to be and and you can't shy away from that you know your, your job as an officer is to uh is be comfortable sort of with being uncomfortable right. sometimes right. an acceptable discomfort you know not an unacceptable an acceptable discomfort and you know i i think that those are the kind of things that you know uh your pre-duty um uh, activities have to be aimed at, you know, maintaining this in-service and ready status. You know, you can look at a firehouse and you can almost tell, and, I mean, you've been around a while. You look at a firehouse, you can almost tell 
how that firehouse is going to behave. You look in, you know, the rigs are clean, the apparatus is looking good, the guys are respectful, you know, there's a good chance they're in service and ready. But you go to a firehouse, it's dirty, the rigs are sloppy, the table of death is piled up to the ceiling, the guys are laying in the couches like like boneless chicken, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, you can just tell, you know, and, and, and we're only here for one reason, for the people out there. That's the only reason we're here. If those people weren't out there, we wouldn't even have these great jobs. And then what the hell else would we do? Right. What else could we possibly do? Any of us, to be honest with you. You know, first of all, we'd have to grow up, which is, you know, no, I'm 62. I'm not growing up yet. But I, but I think the, if, if you're thinking along those lines when you're, you're dealing with your whatever duties they are, whether it's maintenance of the rig, whether it's the training, whether it's making sure that, that the, you know, the, the equipment is in shape, you know, these are the things that that only can occur before you get out that door, because once you get out that door and things go bad, it, it, there's always delays and, and and it always comes back to haunt us. Oh, I love it, man. I, dude, there's I have like three timestamps already written down that I want to try and soundbite, but that's awesome. And and what I really want to get to back is the uh, core mission of the fire service is when the toes drop, we go right. Yep. Those drop, we go. That's it. And and you really touched on it really well there when you said, and there's guys walking out there with a cup of coffee. There are guys walking out there, just moseying out there, eating their breakfast or whatever, or slowly moving to their locker. But we tolerate that. It, yeah. It's become it's become over time. It's yeah. just ah, that's what we do. It's just a it's just the tones dropping. No big deal. We got we got we got to finish this cup of coffee. Yeah. Well, you know what happens is you know you have to set an expectation. It's like listen, okay. So we can't live with that situation. So I'm going to set expectations with, with, with my guys, or I'm going to hope that my officers would set expectations with their guys. Look, you know what? You come on duty, you, you check the apparatus, you put all your gear out, you check the off-going shift, you check the house journal. You know, Then you can go have a cup of coffee, because if you do all that stuff, if you go get your coffee first, the kitchen's a trap. You know, it's a great trap. It's a great place. But right. if it comes to the trap, you can't, you can't get out of there for 45 minutes. Because everybody's in there, everybody's talking, you know, it's family, you know. So yeah. now 45 minutes later, you've already had three alarms and your gear, you, you know, it, you just fall behind. So one of the things that, that Chief Flood used to do when he was a captain was we would do all those things. And, and I don't drink coffee, so I'd go and get my yoo But he would say, okay, now, you know, once that's done, get your coffee, and then we're going to go right back out, and we're going to have our, our, our morning at the apparatus meeting. And, you know, we would go over our, our tool assignments, our equipment, what training that we were doing for the day. You know, so it was it's sort of starting off in, on, on a good foot, you know. And uh, I, I, I think it's I think it's really, really important that those those things are done. And uh, if they're not, then then, you know, it's the Petri dish is getting contaminated. No, I love I love uh, and and. What is you in your opinion, what what is the reason that we've kind of lost that, you know, uh obviously apparatus readiness, all that comes first. Getting ready comes first. We all know this, even if we've let it slide, we know this in our heart and our soul. Uh, but just having that morning apparatus, the roll call at the rig, why has that gone away, do you think, in the modern yeah. American fire service? Uh I don't know. To be quite honest with you, I was never in a department that did it. We never did it in North Hudson. We never did it in Weehawken, which was part of uh, is now part of the regional. But we never did it. I, I know that you know some other departments did do it. Um, I'm not sure. And some departments you'd have to come in 
uh, in class A's and then change into station wear. Other departments, you would come in in regular clothes and change into station wear. Um, I, you know, um, there, that's there's a, a certain amount of formality to that, and maybe that formality kind of kind of keeps you sort of I don't want to use the word in line, but but kind of keeps it real a little bit, right. you no. know. But, but but I think what happens is sometimes you know we we just get you know we just get too comfortable, you know, and and it's the officer's job to recognize when that's happening when they're getting too comfortable, you know, that's something, something, you know, can happen that is not going to be good for the company or the department. Mm. No, you know, it's okay to be comfortable. Officers shouldn't be nitpicking that, you know, uh, you don't go picking on stuff, but you know what? You got one job, make sure we get out that door and whatever it takes to do that is your job. No, I love it. I love it. And if you can keep that focus, then everything else kind of snaps into focus, right? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Because your people know what the main, you know, they know the the, the friggin' prime directive, man. There you go. There you that, go. That's what it is. When, oh, when I, I do can, the leadership oh, I class, do, I can do the whole class. I can, I can. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, you know, the whole class sort of it always sort of leads back to the prime directive. It's 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 kind of interesting, you know. And and these are all things that you know I got from flood. You know, these a lot of this stuff. These are floodisms. So do you want me to go to flood isms? Because I like a villa. I, I wrote down a villa isms, but do you want me to go to flood isms and your and and the need for a, a solid mentor? Or do you want me to go towards uh, your history and and kind of your story? Which way you want to go? Well, my history includes Ed Flood. All right, let's start with your history then. Let's go with let's go with North Hudson and and kind of your your story. Just kind of give us your okay. story, the synopsis. Okay. Just in a nutshell, I've been really fortunate in my career in the fire service. You know, it's. That you know, it, it's it's just the love of the job, and uh, you know, uh, I'm out eight years now, and uh, yeah, now I'm going to the end of my career. But I'm out eight years, and and one of the things I miss the most is the response. There is nothing in the human experience like pulling up on a working fire. Nothing, you know. So so I started out in Weehawken. Weehawken is where the Lincoln Tunnel is. Um, we're directly where we work. With North Hudson is directly across the the. Hudson River from New York City, Manhattan. Right. And right. Uh, North Hudson has about 80,000 people a square mile. There's always two exposure problems. Whenever we have a fire, it's, it's always rush hour. It's the most densely populated area in America. So I got on a job in 1984. And uh, I uh, I was in college. I was, I was playing football in college. And I came home. And everybody that I knew had taken the exam for North Bergen, which is another town. I'm from North Bergen. And uh, there were no more applications left. So my cousin was a captain there, and he said, hey, go over to Weehawken, same application, state test. Put your name down for Weehawken. Sometimes they take off a county list. So I put my name down for Weehawken, and North Bergen has a hiring freeze. Nobody gets hired there. I get hired in Weehawken. Um, my first day on the job, Ed Flood uh, meets me. And I knew him from the gym, but now, you know, now it's real. Now he's, you know, he's he's a captain. Right. He's a captain. He's a captain. Yeah. Um, and he says to me, when you leave here tomorrow morning, if this place isn't a little bit better because you were here, then you didn't do your job. Ooh. And and uh, I believed it then. I believe it now. I pass it on to everyone that I know. He was a big believer in in taking care of the job so that the job takes care of you. It, it doesn't. It's not the other way around. That you know, the, uh, being on a job is a privilege. But making the job better is your responsibility. And, and you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants, mm. um, but we always want to add, add add a little more to Mount Rushmore, you know? 
in a little bit more. And, and that was one of the things that I was thinking about, you know, and I don't know where it's going to come out somehow, but you know, like who would you want? Who's in your Mount Rushmore? You know, that might be, um, you know, who's in your Mount Rushmore? Who's the four guy, right? There's four in Mount Rushmore. You yeah. Know, who's yeah. The four yeah. guys that influence your career, you know, and then who, then, you know, uh, who's Mount Rushmore are you in? You know, ooh, ooh, so, even better. Yeah. No, no. That, like you know, levels, yeah, levels. So, so I got, I, I, I made captain in Weehawk and, and uh, I made battalion chief. And then in 1999, uh, they, they merged five fire departments, uh, Union City, North Bergen, Weehawk and West New York and Guttenberg. We had been dispatched out of the same place. We did automatic aid all the time. Um, uh, so it, it just kind of made sense. And it, but we, we often joke that, uh, you know, they took five understaffed departments and one made made one bigger understaffed department. <laughs> but, you know, I went from 10 guys on a response, which included me and a pump operator, to, you know, about 30 on a response. And, uh, you know, we, we ran, t- you know, 10 engines, four ladders, a rescue, uh, three battalions, myself. I was the, eventually the ship commander, the deputy. And uh, it was, it was a, our response times are like, you know, three minutes on the scene because everything's so congested. We cover about 90 square miles. We have New York City on our east end, huge cliffs, all the population, most of it, well, a lot of it down below now, all the waterfront development, up above, and then big steep hills leading down to the Meadowlands. Um, on our south is Jersey City and Hoboken. On our north is, is Bergen County, a bunch of volunteer departments. You know, that listen, we worked well with as well. And on our west is the Meadowlands, where, you know, Jimmy Hoff is buried in a Giants play. Um, <laughs> so, um, but, you know, we... Uh, we, we wound up, we didn't get a contract for five years. We had, uh, you know, it was, they used to call it the ARC. We had two chiefs. We had uh, uh, two different start times. We had seven contracts, nine vacation schedules. And for five years, it went on like that. And wow, uh, wow. Until um, we got a unification contract. But uh, the end of the day, it was about the fire ground. And I know you mentioned Kevin Cowan. Kevin Cowan. Uh, came on as in the regional. He wasn't in one of the older departments, so he doesn't know the older departments. But he's a battalion chief now in North Hudson, and you know he's one of those uh, one of those salt. You know, he's a th- he throwback. You know, him, his brother Patty, they're throwbacks. You know, they 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 get it. They understand the job. You know, everybody on your show is 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 you know they 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 drank the Kool Aid. You know, and and that's a few, you know. But the regional department, you know, like we uh. We, you know, get a lot of work. And just recently, they had uh, three multiple simultaneous multiples. Now, in 2001, we had four four alarm fires at one time. And uh, New York City came in, and uh, we called it the Night of Flames. And uh, it was a very primitive flood was the chief of the department. And we used an area command, which nobody called it at that time. Right. But 21 years to the day. They had a four or five alarm apartment building fire, and about a half an hour later, a fully involved bowstring truss in Union City. Same time, right? right? So you think of that. You know, when's that going to happen? It was 21 years since the last one. Boom! Two months later, five stores in West New York, four stores in Union City, and then another month later, five buildings in Union City and four buildings in Weehawken, all at the same time. You know, like. Just, just, uh, and I wish I was there. I, I have to say, I was so jealous that I wasn't, right? You know, and uh, a lot of the guys that, of course, I knew, my colleagues and everything, were there. You know, and and you know, you almost, 
you almost like you missed the big game, you know. But, uh, you know, we, we've had a, a really good run in North Hudson. Um, you know, we were first on the scene at the Sully incident with the plane in the river. Um, we, you know, we were over on, uh, you know, we went over to New York City on 9, you know, not 9-11, we're at 9-12, 13, 14. Sure, um, sure. You know, we've... Uh, We've kind of been in, in 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 the midst of the storm, so to speak, because uh, we're just such a densely populated, you know, urban area. And uh, you know, I always tell people, you want to fight fires, you want to be challenged by fires, come to North Hudson. Come to North Hudson, get challenged. Come to North Hudson, man. Yeah, but it's all good. Dude, I love the story. I absolutely love the story, especially come to get when you had seven. What did you say? Seven contracts, seven vacation schedules. I can't Seven remember. contracts, nine vacation schedules. <laughs> Whatever it worked know. out to. That's insane to me. Uh, you know, we have it was uh, one, you know, one vacation schedule. We have trouble. Yeah, with. and you have, uh, you know, you had people like, you know, you would be uh, right away in the beginning, you know, like, you know, North Bergen might have had a guy that banged out six. So they need a guy, a guy that can drive a tiller. So they'll be sending a guy from Union City up to North Bergen and they had different start times. And, you know, the guy don't even know where the firehouse is. And, you know, it was almost. And every day doing manning with people we didn't really know. And this guy, I don't get along with that guy. And, you know, he's a good cook, but his feet stink. And, you know, uh, <laughs> it, it was almost like uh, Flood wrote an article for Fire Engineering about it. But it was almost like a, a, a very sort of romantic time in a way. You right. Know? I, I, if, if, if you can get that. You no, know, I get it. I, I completely it. get it. No, I love that. Yeah, it, was, it was really it was really cool. And one thing I want to pluck out of there that you said, which is really cool and and, and because everybody says leave it better than you found it. We've all heard that since the, since day one of rookie school. Leave it better than you found it. But I love, and I've never taken your leadership class, so so bear with me if this. Uh, but you said leave leave the station better than you found it at the end of the shift, mm-hmm. and brother. That's a microcosm that you can really wrap your head around. That's so mm-hmm. much better than that. Like out there in the in the the big stratosphere of leave the job better than you yeah. found it. No, that's. Yeah. Leave the well, rig better than you found it. Leave the station. Leave you know. Leave your shift. You know that's awesome. Well, one of the things that I talk about in my leadership classes, I, I ask the question: Where does leadership on a fire ground come from? You know, and you get all different kinds of answers. And in reality, where does it come from? It comes out of the firehouse. If you ain't leading in the firehouse, you ain't leading on the fire ground. And everything else that comes out of the firehouse, you know, safety sense, team sense, discipline, accountability, communications. Most of all, officering. You can't officer in a firehouse. You ain't officering on the fire ground. So mm-hmm. that's also part of the whole full leadership sort of like full circle type of thing and leaving it better than you found it and all that. You can't do it in the firehouse. The night, 99% of the time or 98% of the time you're in that firehouse is going to dictate the 2% of the time you're on that fire ground. Nobody's that good when they can flip that switch and be a mouch in the firehouse and a superstar on the fire ground. doesn't work. You know what a mouch is, right? Oh yeah, half, half man, half couch. Hey, there you go. You know? <laughs> yeah, you know it's 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 you have to you have to be engaged completely all the time. You know, even when you're napping, which is okay. Even when you're napping, you you know you got to be engaged. And I tell people, you're a twenty four seven officer. You know, your people call you at home when you're off duty. They call you and say, hey, what's this? What's that? You know, I heard about this stuff. I want to find out about that stuff. I need this stuff. What's happening? That you know, they call you at home. You know why? Because you're a leader even when you're not there, you know, and, and that's a big responsibility. No, without a doubt. You know, 
Without a doubt. Okay, we got questions coming at you. So I have I've been neglecting him as we've been doing stories. And that's great. I've loved it. Uh Sean <laughs> Bryan, I don't know if you know him or not. And my caveat always to my guest is I don't know the ins and outs of people that know each other, if there's inside jokes or ball busting going on or anything like that. So okay. but he said, ask Chief about flow paths, wind impacted fire before they were a thing. LOL, case study, 18th Kennedy Boulevard, question mark, question mark, question mark. So again. Okay. Well, um, we almost never have a fire in a high rise that's not wind driven or even an apartment building. So as I said, we have the cliffs on the east and the hills on the, on the west, right? So we almost always have wind driven fires uh, and um, it's, it's, uh, they're extremely challenging. You know, we had one, we had, we had 18 guys burned at a fire um, because there were problems with the standpipes. And um, I do a class called strategic decision-making and uh, part of it is, is a case study of that particular fire. But um, the 18th street fire, I was actually a battalion chief at the time and it was a five story ordinary. It was set back about 125 feet. Um, and, uh, we got up on a fire floor and the wind was blowing into the Charlie side of the building at about 50 miles an hour. And no exaggeration. And I, I could see the fire in the back, but the heat coming down the hallway was incredible. And I remember the water steaming in the apartment on the floor. And of course the guy's helmet steaming. So we tried to get down there. We had to go down and, and make a bend to get into the fire area. And we were trying to get down this hallway. And, uh, so we, we were trying to get down. We, we used an inch and three quarter. It wasn't making it. So second inch and three quarter showed up, and we tried to do it with that as well, and we weren't making it with that. So uh, at that point, and we didn't know it, the fire had extended to the floor above. So the battalion chief at the time uh, who was in charge, and this is before regionalization, Nicky Gazillo, great, great chief officer. Um, uh, he was eventually a deputy in North Hudson. Um, he, pulled, he pulled us out. And uh, he said, Let, let's just hit this with the telesquirt. So, you know, we were work, we were trying to attack into a flow path, which was you know, really, really tough to do. So right. he said, Let, we're going to pull you guys out. So we, we went down to the floor below. And uh, it, was, it was like, it's like projects. They're like fire resistant apartment buildings, like projects. So we, ovens. we went down to the floor below the fire. Um, other people came out of the building. They did the roll call and they utilized the telesquirt to knock the fire down. But it only kind of knocked down. It didn't knock down everything because it was a deep apartment. While that was going on, now Chief Flood was on the scene and he was at the back of the building. And, and he comes up to me and he calls to me and he says, listen, he goes, uh, why, don't, why don't you guys take that line, bring it into the adjacent apartment, bring it out in a fire escape and attack from the backside of the building. So, so after they used the, the telescope for a bit, let the building settle, we wound up getting a two and a half and we got two or three more companies to pull this thing up to like the third floor. And uh, that was the plan we did. We, we, we went out on a fire escape, we turned it around and we utilized the, the flow path, I guess, at, you know, at our back. And this was a time when nobody was talking about flow paths. Sure. It was just the, the term path. didn't exist, right? Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of frigging fire here and it's blowing right in our faces. So <laughs> let's 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 uh let's be smart. Let's work smarter. And uh we, we utilized the uh the fire escape and came from the Charlie to the Alpha side. 
and it was and you know I, in fact they came through the window and I could I didn't even go in the window because there were just too many guys and you know these guys were just on a mission and I could I watched where they were and they just they just pushed this fire right out of the building at that point and you know and it, and it worked and it was it was about um an incident commander who understood what was going on great communications between division commanders and the willingness to sort of go you know to change strategies uh, you know and and have that coordination and you know I, I I change a lot in my book from from the editions. That one is still in on the fourth edition because it was it was such a good example of, of fire ground command and control, you know, and uh, and and the proper use of, of strategy and tactics. Right on. Now so, I want to touch on. No, no, I want to touch on something there because ego is such a big. I mean, ego. Every I don't care what size department you are, ego plays into it because people are involved. How hard is it? And, and you've been to a lot of fires. And you've, mm-hmm. you've commanded a lot of fires. How hard is it to let go of a strategy that you've locked in? You, you sank your teeth into. Um, is there is there anything that's ever um, kicked it for you where you're like, hold on, like, like something I can pass on to these people that are listening. Like if you if you think these things, you might need to check your ego and say, hey, I'm I'm trying too hard to to hold on. Anyway, if that well, if that if that question makes sense. Okay. Yeah, it does. It does. Well, first of all, here's a good quote for you. Ego and emotion cannot exist in the same space as leadership and rank. Right? So, and the fire has no ego. The fire only knows one thing. It's going to burn. And it's going to burn until we stop it. Right? Or or it runs out of fuel. So, um, have, I, have I lost buildings? Absolutely. Have I sort of been, I don't want to use the word fooled, but I have, have I sort of been surprised by the fire's move? Sometimes when you have uh, buildings that, you know, where they're they're different than we thought they were, so to speak, you know, renovations, things like that. But I always, quite honestly, I always tried to keep an open mind and and always tried to keep that while they're working on this. I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about, you know, like I would always set up a set of water, one more water supply than I was using. So if I'm using two, I'm setting up three. I'm using three. I'm setting up four. We use manifolds all the time. And, uh, uh, I was always sort of, um, I, I was always sort of, I was never afraid to change the strategy. Um, but I remember there was a time then we that it was my shift and another shift, and we both had streaks of have, not having to go defensive. And uh, we it was sort of a, a you know a, a uh, right it was sort of a competition, I guess a little sure. bit. They wound up beating us because we pulled up one night and the place was fully involved. And, you know, I was like, well, I guess we can't go offensive on this one, you know. Um, but I, I, I think you, you, your ego has to be such that, um, uh, you know, the, the, understand that, the, you know, the, the fires, it, it, it's just a, it's a dynamic force and it's, it's going to do what it's going to do. And, you know, there are times when it's going to get the upper hand and you have to adjust that because people that, their egos are too big and they can't change what they're doing. That's when they get people hurt, you know, Mm -hmm. and when you have company officers and, and, you know, I know that there are people that talk about, you know, uh, rogue, you know, company officers going rogue and and even chiefs going rogue. You go rogue on my fire gun. I'm going to chop your frigging head off. You know, that ain't going to happen. But, you know, the the idea is there were times when I would, uh, I use division commanders all the time. And I would consult with them and say, hey, look, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking we should pull out of here. What are you thinking? What I'm seeing don't look so good. And I've had times when they've said, you know what? No, no, I, I think we can I think we can hold this. You know, um, I, I, we have uh, we have lines in place. I think we can hold this. 
I'll let him do it. I understand. There are other times when the chief would, you know, I'm looking at this, not so good. You think we should pull out? Yeah, most definitely. And and I call the guy in the back. He's got fire blowing out the back. And yeah, let, let's pull out of here now. You know, I, I think I think the chief that surrounds himself with with good division commanders that understand each other and and are all on the same page. Um, I, I think that sort of takes the place of of ego driven firefighting. Uh, no, because no, no, no. There, there, there is no room for that. No room for that at all. Uh, uh, man, so lot, lots of questions. I hope that forward. answered it. No, no, it was a great, great answer. Phenomenal answer. I loved it. I just got so many questions to pour through here as we're trying to figure out. Uh, Gregory Allen, Chief, how do you motivate the unmotivated? This is a question we get week in, week out. So if you have a good answer for it, man, that's a great book also. How, but how do you do motivate you... the unmotivated? Well, <laughs> How do you engage those that are there to just get by? But I wonder, yeah. Okay, so um, listen, some people, you know, you know the movie, right? Some people you just can't reach. Um, I, I think you have to kind of look and try and find what motivates people. Look, you can't motivate anybody. Motivation comes from within. My job as a chief and a job at a captain is to find out what, you know, no motivation is about. Motivation is a bunch of feelings. Motivation is, is about what what benefit will it be for this guy to this guy to uh, to do what we need him to do? For instance, we were in Weehawken and we went and all of a sudden they wanted everybody to do CPR. And, uh, you know, a lot of older guys and nobody wanted to do CPR and everybody was against all that. And, you know, we was like, listen, you know, this doesn't just benefit the people out there. It benefits you. It benefits your family. It benefits you want to be talk about being a brother. It benefits mm-hmm. somebody sitting at this table if they start choking. You know, I think you have to find out how to create a benefit for them. Mm. You know, um, I mean, it's, you know, you deal with the why generation and how come generation and all that. Oh, I get it. You know, but listen, there's several things that go on there. Number one, the job has to be done. If you're not doing the job, listen, you you don't you don't have to like doing the job. But if you're not doing the job, we're going to have a problem, you know, uh, so I suggest that, you know, you find it within yourself to figure out either you want to stay or you want to go. And if you want to go, goodbye. If you want to stay, we'll train you. We'll make an officer out of you and, and you'll be a, a, a an asset to this department. It, listen, it, it's tough. I, you know, I can't answer the questions. Of how do you motivate the unmotivated? Listen, all I can say is it goes case by case. You got to look and see what you're dealing with. You got to look and see what motivates them and, uh, and you have to find out, you know, how, how, you know, the benefits that whatever you're trying to motivate them about is is going to be for them. It's, not, it's never easy. Listen, that's why you got those things on your collar. It ain't easy. Those are the challenges. You want to be an officer, you'll figure it out. Don't quit. Boom. Hey, it may be pretty I'm, I'm going to give max points on that, on that answer. It's a little <laughs> early, but I'm giving max points on that answer. That was a <laughs> phenomenal answer, and I time-stamped it in my notepad. Uh Chris Pace has a question for you. I, I'm not sure I understand the question, so Chris may have to clarify, but I'm going to throw it at you see what you do with it. Do you think that firehouse leadership starts with the officer or the entire crew? Officer. The officer's in charge of the firehouse. Starts with the officer. However, the officer should, should use all different types of leadership, but a full contact officer is prepared. He's engaged. He is, he is participative in his leadership style most of the time, if you are not bringing your people forward and creating 
mini versions of yourself. Or, you know what your job is? Your job is to create yourself, recreate yourself, create offices better than you are. If you're not doing that, then your crew is going to be left behind. You have to involve your crew. Um, that having been said, the office is always responsible. The office has got to be a rock, not a bowl of jello, not a ghost. But firefighters who work under an officer that's a bowl of jello, you, look, I, Flood used to say you can never be better than your boss. Which means if your boss is a sack of shit, you know it's hard for you to rise above that a lot of times, and it's it's sort of it's sort of you know disengaging a little bit, you know. But listen, I think I think it's a whole team effort. But the officers in charge, you know, the fire, you know, people say, well, the senior firefighter, all that. Yeah, no, the officer is in charge. The officer can utilize his team. He can delegate to his team. He can bring his team along. He can create stars of his team, and that's his job. Ed Flood. We worked on Ladder 222 in Weehawken. Every firefighter on Ladder 222 became a deputy chief. Every single firefighter was a deputy chief. And in the old department of Weehawken, almost every firefighter that went to regionalization became an officer. So, you know, like your job as an officer is to make other officers. You know, and, and however you decide to do that and do that, you know, um, listen, the, the, uh, how, how I say this? Um, an officer is not there to make life easy for his subordinates. The best you can do is not make life unnecessarily hard. Mm. That's a pluralism. And Nick Saban said, "If you, if you want to be a, what you say, sell ice cream, yeah, you know yeah. what, you want to be liked. Yeah, you want to be liked, sell ice cream. You're not there to be liked. You know, you're not there to be liked. You know." And I had a very good friend who was a chief that said. I could be your friend and I can be your boss, but if I got to choose one, I got to be your boss. Right on. And if you, you don't know, choose that, you're abdicating. You're abdicating your responsibility. Yeah. You know, listen, it's, it's great to have a team. It's great to develop your team. But you know what? The officer is in charge. Right. The firefighters can be in charge to some extent. They can be given that responsibility, but the officer has the ultimate accountability. I'm a big believer in that chain of command. No, I love it. Uh, you want to be a boss? Study. Love it. No, and absolutely. If you want to make a difference in your department, study and promote so you can have an impact. Uh, yeah. And I'm not I'm not downplaying the senior man and the unofficial leadership. No, not at all. At all. But if you want to have an impact, study and promote. Uh, yeah. I, listen, I've had tremendous senior men on the job and uh, I've had tremendous captains on the job. I got to stand up because my leg is cramping, um, <laughs> you know, and uh, we encourage all of them to, you know, engage and be part of the game and, and, you know, help us create great drills and things like that, you know, and, 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 and they respond, you know, why? Cause it's contagious, you know, All and right. empowering. no one, I love empowerment. Uh, James Mitchellisco has a great question coming at you. Chief, what was your greatest challenge when you first got promoted and what was your, <coughs> excuse me, what was your greatest challenge as an officer throughout your career? Um, my greatest challenge when I got promoted was, you know, really it was the reality of thinking I could do my boss's job and then the stark reality that I, that I actually had to do his job. You know, um, everybody that goes from one side of the seat to the other, you know, sort of experiences that, you know, and, and uh, you know what happens too? Um, you get on a job, you go to firefighter one. 
and you're on about two and a half years, and and you know, and on firefighter one, we always tell them we, we you're a nobody, we turn a nobody into a somebody. You know, you get on the job, and 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 you know, you're you're you get out of fire one, and you're like, wow, I don't know a lot, and then you're on two and a half, three years, and you think you know everything. Sure. And you sure. start studying for office and you say, holy shit, I don't know anything. You know, you got to be humble like that. Um, but I, I, I think with me, it was, you know, I had a lot of knowledge. Um, but the, you know, crashing up against the rocks of reality of of that, I have to actually now be responsible for other people. That, that I think, was the, uh, um, you know, that, that was sort of the hardest sort of transition for me, I guess. Plus, I was only 28 years old. I got promoted very young. The guys who I got on at 23, the guys who worked for me uh, were great. They were great. They were older than me, but they were great. They were they were professionals, you know, and they helped me. You know, um, now the other thing what was the other part of that question. Biggest mistake. Uh, uh, the biggest challenge you had when you first promoted and the biggest challenge you faced from an officer position? Well, I have to say the biggest challenge I, I got as an officer uh, throughout my career and especially was, was the regionalization. You know, we went from, you know, I went from a 50-man department to a 350-man department. I went from, a, I went from Weehawken. One day I was a Weehawken battalion chief. The next day I was a North Hudson battalion chief. I went from 19th Street in Weehawken up to 16th Street in Union City, which is a double house. Union City was, you know, kind of probably the department that got the most fires. You know, most all, almost all of our mutual aid was in Union City. Everything burns in Union City. Right on. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I had to, you know, I had to work and lead, you know, five companies, one from North Bergen, uh, one from Weehawken, three from Union City. So these were people that I didn't know. I knew them, you know, I knew them somewhat, you sure. know, because <laughs> we did mutual aid with automatic aid. So I knew them somewhat, but I had to go from being this guy they saw in the fire ground. We all worked together to a guy that was actually in charge of them. And, you know, we moved everybody's cheese, you know, uh, we went from, you know, uh, you know, you're on Union City Engine 23. Now you're on North Hudson Engine 2. You know, we went from you can wear your Union City shirt to now you can't wear your Union City shirt and you got to wear your North, North Hudson shirt. We went to, we had, you know, uh, you know, different SOPs coming out and different radio procedures. And there, there was, you want to talk about change, go to a department that regionalized and try and be a chief officer there on the line. It, it, it was a challenge, but I have to say this, with the exception of a few people Everybody was extremely professional, like like I professionally to the point where you know because you always said ah that department over there they suck and that department right goes. right especially to the point where I was actually shocked at how good these guys were and how dedicated they were. Like when we got there in the morning, I got there to 16th Street. These guys were all over the rigs like ants. That saws starting, this rigs being checked, pump operations. You know it was it was like it was unbelievable what these guys were doing. You know and. uh and then at night, they pulled out the guitars after dinner, and and we we just they just played guitars, and you know like, and I'm like the new guy, and I'm a I'm the I'm the I'm the freaking the ranking officer, I'm the chief, and I'm the new guy, you right. know. But they, they welcomed me with open arms, and the meals were great, and 
you know, the Dutch guy by the name of Frank Puka was the captain there that, you know, brought me through the firehouse and introduced me to everybody. Eventually he became a battalion chief, great guy. And and all the guys that were there and, and 99% of the guys in the regionalization were, were just tremendous. And uh, there have, you know, it was really cool. There have been unbelievable friendships made across the departments, you know, not just myself, but, you know, we'll go to like a Christmas party. I still go to the Christmas party. And there are people from from still every town retired. And, you know, it's it, it, in our best day on the old departments. Wait, let me just think how it says our best day of the old departments. We weren't better than our worst day in North Hudson. Oh, wow. North Hudson, wow. That's North Hudson was an absolute success. Listen, we still had three man engine companies and three man ladder companies. You know, you, you can't change your manpower, you know, but the, the professionalism, the, the, the fires that we fought and the saves that were made and the friendships that were, you know, uh, made and, 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 you know, the things we went through in, in a lot of different ways and places, it just, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't I could write a book about it. <laughs> and I, I would do. I hope you do. I really do. I think there's a lot of people that hope you do. I have a, like a, a, a backlog of questions. So I'm just throwing them at you here. Uh, okay. I love, I love this one. It comes from John McCoy out of Virginia. Uh, what was your favorite fire that you have been to in your career? That, that one fire that you just blew it out of the water. Well, I've had I've, I've, I've been fortunate because I had so many great guys working with me to have some great fires with some unbelievable stops. Um, the one that always comes back to me was about a year into regionalization. It's in the book, The Rock Harbor Fire. The Rock Harbor Fire was was lightweight wood truss. We got there. It's all the way in the on the the, the northwest, northeast end of the region. It's right on the Hudson River. And uh, when we got there, the fire was just blowing up through the building. It got into the cockloft, into the attic. And uh, I thought we were going to lose all the way down to the river. And uh, we set up divisions. We, we went to about six alarms. We had like four water supplies. And we pinched the fire off. And we just kept rotating guys through this area and and at one point i, I thought we were going to have to surrender to the delta exposure and uh i had a great chief in there named john ekro and nikki gazillo was in the other exposure on the on the on the bravo side and i said to john ekro you know it's not looking good here to me what you know what, what are you thinking he goes we have lines we have two lines in here the building has been searched all the ceilings are down we have no fire in here what you're looking at on that roof is is roof fire you should telescope knock that down so i, I had four divisions set up and the, the fire unit, three unit store unit collapsed right down into the garage. But the fire, but it, the thing that helped us a lot, it burned through the roof. And once it burned through the roof, we didn't put a lot of pipe in there. We just let it go. And it wasn't going in these directions anymore. We were able to make that stop. It was, it was, it was, but it, a lot of work, a lot of really hard nosed firefighting, great division commanders, you know, just, um, just, just a fire that could have gone, you know, Bad, very, very quickly. And uh, I mean, listen, I, I I have a list of of the fires that I've gone to. I do list better on my concert list. I have all this stuff. Sure, and, sure. Uh, I, I kind of looked the other day and, and I commanded something like 94 multiples, you know. And uh, I was uh I was just very fortunate that I had great guys, I had resources there relatively quickly, although it didn't always seem that way. But everybody kind of, as you as we got into the regionalization, 
everybody, everybody kind of knew what you needed to do and what you wanted to do. You know, we had SOPs that put the first rigs in the places, but um, every all the chiefs knew, like, you come to the command post in gear because you got the interior division, you got the Delta, you got Bravo, you know, going in there, we're feeding you companies, you're giving me reports, and everybody knew that's what we were doing. So, you know, when you have everybody on the same page like that, and, and the strategy is, okay, we're going we're gonna to look to stop it at this building right here, you know, so we're going to set up a telesquirt, and, you know, just... Uh, I, I think when you know the people you work for and, and everybody's on the same page and, and the department supports that sort of, uh, you know, sort of like the way things were, it, it, I, I just, I was lucky. I was lucky. I was able to, from the Weehawken Fire Department, where I only had 10 guys on duty and for my very first fire, we lost the Chart House restaurant on the Hudson River, about a $9 million loss. To North Hudson, where I, you know, had 35 guys on a first response, or 30 guys, you know, and and I was I was able to see both sides of it, and I was able to figure out how to set up a fire ground, and when more people were coming in, how to keep that under control, you know. Um, I had a second fire at Rock Harbor that went to six alarms. We used pretty much the same strategy. We had about 250 firefighters on the scene. We had no cases of freelancing, none whatsoever. Wow. Wow. Everything was set up properly, and it was all about. You know, listen, we, we, we didn't get that way overnight. We got that way from from learning from our mistakes and, you know, lessons that we learned. But we never had a freelancing problem in North Hudson. We still don't. There's still no freelancing problems there because no, everybody no. understands how it's supposed to work. And Sean Bryan even brought that up when I asked the earlier question about memorable fire. He said, don't forget about Rock Harbor Fire Number 2, Chief. So he sent <laughs> that in there. So I had to throw that in there. Uh, Marco Isom says, what is one thing that you've learned from a tough fire that if you could have replayed it again, it would have gone smoother. So with with the with hindsight, obviously well, hindsight being twenty twenty. Yeah, um, I, well, you know, a couple of things come to mind. Um, you know, probably something along the lines of of you know uh, maybe we didn't. Uh, we didn't call enough people quick enough or people didn't get there quick enough. That, that might've been one of them, but there were times when we had other fires going on in the region, what I wanted to do versus what I could do weren't always the same thing. I remember coming from uh, one fire was, uh, it was a fire in West New York and we were finishing up on that fire and, and we got dispatched to this for a, a small condition on Kennedy Boulevard. And, and I pull up from one side and my, one of my battalions pulls up from the other side. I can't even see him. And, and, you know, I'm getting on the radio saying, look, uh, I got a heavy, heavy smoke condition. I have a working fire. I just don't know where it is. I'll let you know. And uh, turned out it was, uh, was a vacant factory. And, and we did try our best to get in there and take care of business in there. And uh, um, uh, we wound up having to pull out of there, you know. Right. Uh, right. But, um, tough, tough fire. Well, not the toughest fire I ever had. Was was one that I really didn't even command. Was Vinnie Neglia was killed. That was a tough fire. That was a tough fire from the standpoint of trying to keep everyone focused. And I remember uh, one of the captains, one of the best captains I ever worked, a guy named Scotty Broken. My shift was coming on. The fourth platoon was going off. They were moving everybody to a firehouse where the CISD people were. And uh, Vinnie died. He died in a backdraft. There was a, a a shaft that was covered over with a thermal pane skylight. And they, there was a heavy odor of smoke. The fire started in the shaft, and uh, 
they got inside the building and they must have changed the dynamics of the apartment. And uh, there was a, sh- a backdraft and the chef and the cockwalk and Vinny got caught on the bad side of it. And, uh, you know, and Vinny was one of those guys that, you know, everybody knew. He was a guy that everybody knew when he was there, you know, um, firefighter, fearless, great guy, nuts. Um, but Scotty Brokings grabbed us and, and, and kind of brought us together. And I was, you know, sort of engaged in, in command stuff at the time because I had taken over command and I seen him grab all my guys and I could hear him saying, he goes, listen, we still have a job to do. Don't lose focus here. We still have a job. There was, was still a very active fire. There was still a fire and two cock lofts and rolling through another shaft. And, you know, that, that might've been the, the toughest. And, and it was probably the, one of the most proud moments I ever had that, you know, they, they, they stayed focused and, and we did what we had to do, you know, um, if, if, you know, listen, I've had a very blessed career and um, I, I don't, it's funny. I, I'd have to look at my fire list, but I don't really remember that many fires going, going bad, you know, um, some very tough ones, some real snotty fires, right. um, some fires that, you know, we, you know, we had a rain roof or, you know, we, we couldn't, we couldn't get the roof open because it was about that thick, you know, and then that affected us and they got into the cock loft and, you know, listen, all fires go out eventually. You didn't start them, you know, but you you just do your best and make sure you have enough people and make sure those people are rotated properly. And, and you know, one of the most important things I can tell you is be careful of your span of control violations. Every time an incident commander fails, my, well, not every time, but most of the time, it's, it's because of span of control violations. You have too many people on the scene and you have not put people in charge of places that you can't see. So, so I think if, if you're looking to be successful on a fire ground as a chief and you're striking additional arms all that, make sure your span of control stays in a good place because that's where you're going to be overwhelmed. That's where you're going to run into problems. Mm, oh. oh, great question, man. A great answer. Thank you for That was I, a good question. I have so many questions coming at you. You still good to go? Yeah, yeah, sure. Energy level. Just checking your energy level. Cody Brooks, yeah, listen I'm, to- I'm good. I'm good. Chief. Listen, this is uh, I didn't do anything today. So listen, you want to hang, I'll hang. We're scrapping, the, right? The batteries are charged. All right, Chief. What do you think about the leaders slash officers explaining the why? I have seen men go through hell for a leader that explained why, because we had an understanding of the task ahead. So how important is the why to you and and, and the new generations asking the why question? Listen, if a fire officer cannot explain the why, you know, then then uh, he might not be uh, worth his salt. But I know a firefighter does have the uh, silence. The fire, firefighter does have these. Listen, they're, they're going to ask why. I get it. That's that's what they do. That's their generation. But you know what? An officer has to be able to explain why. He has to he has to know the ins and outs of that department and uh, and. Uh, Listen, the, the, the questions, here's one of the things that happens when you get too many whys. Uh, we, we start to sort of downplay the, uh, the importance of the person. You know, the question may not always be important, but the person's always important. You know, and listen, do we have pain in the ass guys? Absolutely. I've had tons of them, you know, tons of them. Listen, Vinny Neglia, God bless his soul. He was the biggest pain in the ass in the department. We loved him to death, but he was a pain in the ass, you know. Um, and when they ask why? You know, because I said so, leadership is never good leadership, all right? You should be able to explain the why as an officer. An officer should never lose their patience 
with firefighters asking why. Listen, I, I was uh, I was the director of a fire academy. We run firefighter one. We got thirty six people asking why. Mm-hmm. You know what? No, we do at the beginning of class. We 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 tell them, you know, like what the deal is. You know, if if you're transparent, your people shouldn't have to ask why. Ooh. That's beautiful right there, man. That really is, man. Well, listen, you know what? Listen, and you're also going to run out of patience sometimes with people. And, you know, it's like, listen, you know what? If you want to know why, I'm going to tell you where to go find the answer here. I want you to go look and find it. Then I want you to write a, write a, a short report on, on what you read. You know, you, you, want to, you know what the best low-level discipline is? Have somebody write a report. <laughs> you know what? Guy gets off the rig. He's, his chin straps not on. Well, that that's that's charging. But you know, his, his waist straps are undone. Something happens where it's it's not what you want. You have him write a report. You have his if he has a chief, his officer might be writing a report too. Nobody likes writing reports. It's a it's a great way to sort of balance balance what you need to get done and and you know what you're getting done. Nice, nice, nice. No, uh, I like to. Hey, there's there's. It's the scrap, so you got questions coming at you. Amanda Miller has one coming at you. Uh, I love this question, uh, and I apologize in front of it, but I love the question. If you were just if you were sent to a crew now that you did not know, that had a bad reputation, they were incompetent, bad attitude, etc. What would be the handful of things you would absolutely do, and what would you want to know ahead of time? So you're being sent to a crew with a bad reputation. How would you handle mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Okay, so the first thing I would do is I try to do a little homework with the people that had them before, but also I would I do homework on the people that had them before. Because you know, listen, it's not normal to have a crew with a bad attitude. It's not normal for that to happen. So I, I think a lot of it has to do with 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 you know the uh, um, with the officer that was there. And here's another thing: anything that goes wrong in the department falls at the foot of the chief of the department. Chief of department is responsible for everything that happens on the department. He's responsible for everything. And uh, likewise, the company officer is responsible. Listen, you ever see how people look like their dog after a while? A a fire department will always look like a chief. A division will look like a deputy, a battalion like a battalion, and a company like a captain. Right? So I'm going to take a look. I'm going to see... You know, what do I know about that captain that had these guys? Now I'm going to look and see these guys. And I'm not going to go in there. And this is what I do with my shift. When I got promoted to deputy, I went to the war shift on a department. It was it, it, a lot of experience, but they didn't have any real leadership. And uh, not that I was the greatest leader. I was, you know, cutting my teeth, you know, as a deputy. But um, Flood sent me there. And he said, you'll thank me one day. And, and I did. I did because I was able to mold them in my sort of the way I wanted them molded. And, uh, Sometimes people with a bad reputation are just looking for a better leader, you know, and, and if, if, if you can be a better leader, if you can sort of figure out what makes them tick, if you can get them to be part of your team, you know, listen, there's no bad firefighters. There's, there's bad officers that fail to bring firefighters along, you know, and, and, uh, and make them part of their team. You know, listen, that being said, you know, I could just sit here because I'm retired eight years now and, and say, you know what, uh, you can, it shouldn't be that way, but but I, I firmly believe in, and you know what, a, fire department, a company with a bad reputation is a reflection on the officer that they had. And if you're going there, 
you have to do some homework on why that is because there's a good chance these guys are they they may come around they may come around and, and if they don't it, listen it, now they're your problem mm-hmm. now they're your problem what are you going to do with it you know, what are you gonna do? but the other end of it is if you have a department that also um supports the officers below which our department did you know chief flood and and, and the chief we and, and the deputies and the battalions, we supported the company officers. We also supported the firefighters. And but you don't think we didn't have department companies with bad reputation or and, and I don't want to use the word reputation. I'm gonna use the word bad attitude. You know, bad attitude. And, and well, no, let me just say this. We did have companies with bad reputations that they weren't the best companies. You know what? You do your best to strengthen them, you know, and and strengthening them may may be shaking them up a bit, which means maybe that bad reputation company. It's not going to be that bad reputation company, and we're going to we're going to maybe, and dare I say, maybe pull some transfers out of there, you know, for the good of the department, you know, and and that's not always the answer. I get it, I understand. You wouldn't transfer a half-empty cylinder to another rig, you know. You fill a cylinder. So I would tell that company officer to to or myself, let's see what we can fix. Let's see how we can fix it. Let's not give up. On, on guys because somebody said they have a bad reputation. Beef, all I can say at this point is uh, you got to quit with the sound bites. I only have <laughs> this. Dude, that was a that, so many mic drops, man. I mean, seriously, people are saying that. Boom. Someone uh, I'm, I'm a big <laughs> quotes, man. Dude, 100%. Uh, Smoothbore Cartel said, boom, all caps. And then not even one minute later said, boom again. So you're crushing it with that. Uh, uh, Sean Bryan coming at you again. And he said, ask the chief how he relates a manifold to the command post. For example, everyone goes through it and how it further relates to tactical reserve. Okay. So again, I already like this time. analogy, but I want to hear it. Yeah. yeah. One of my, one of my favorite things is uh, freelancing is, is, uh, is, you know, it's, it's, it's the death penalty, you know? So here's what it is. My first arriving companies have SOPs. First engine does this, second engine does that, third engine does that, right? Um, first ladder, right? Everything, everyone else reports to the command post, okay? Now, the, the first arriving companies, I'm not there yet, all right? So I get there, I set up the command post. The command post is like a manifold. Everything goes through it, nothing goes around it. Okay, so every company arriving after that, unless I have something to specifically tell them to do, like get a water supply or something like that, they come to the command post. All right. Now, I may stage them. I may put them in the game. Okay. now here's the other thing. When you put them in the game, one of the things that happens is when they come out of the game, they'll go over to their rig to change their cylinders and then they'll go back in. Uh -uh, Not happening. The expectation and the policy is. You come out of the building. You come to the command post. Hey, you guys okay? Need to change your cylinders? Yeah, we are. Okay, go change your cylinders. Come back here to the command post. I may put you in rehab. I may move you to staging. I may redeploy you. But you never, there's, there's, okay, so you have operating, rehab, staging, arrival, and release. In the middle is the manifold. You never change, you never go from one of those boxes to another box without coming to the the command post. Because that represents freelancing. All right. There actually is, and it will be in the book, and it's in all my classes, a, a flow chart on that. 
And it's very simple because all I'm doing is doing this when I'm in the classroom. You hit, you hit, you hit, you hit, you hit, you hit. But every single time you come through the organizational manifold at a command post. Because if you don't, the only way I can tell you, the only way I can keep you safe is if I know what, where you are. If I know where you are, then you're freelancing. Then I'm going to cut you loose. I'm going to send you back. And I'm going to send you back. And you're going to have to write a 40-page report on why you were freelancing. Love it. Thank so you. That, for that's the what you're referring to the organizational manifold. But you know what? We, it took us 10 years to get there in North Hudson. You know, Jersey City runs it the same way, Hoboken. It takes a while. You know, it's you got to start from scratch and keep scratching. You know, you if you're not doing it at small incidents, it'll never work at a big incident. Right. You know? So so you, it takes a while to do something. Like it requires discipline. It requires buy-in. It requires a united front. So it's important that people understand that, you know. J-Lo, one of my favorite people on the planet, Justin Lorenzen says, how important is it for the officer to allow themselves to fail in front of their crew and be able to explain the why on the training ground? Listen, nobody's perfect. You know, uh, officers are going to fail. Chiefs are going to fail. Firefighters are going to fail. It's okay. It's a learning point. You know, it's, it's a learning environment. You know, if you don't learn something every single day in the firehouse, it's just like what Flood said. And, you know, you it, whether you learn something from your own crew or from a book or from an article, you know, it's uh, it, it's you got to learn something, you know, and, and it's OK to fail. It's OK to fail. You know, failures is just another way to sort of reset and start it over again. Mm. You know, and fa- failure is not failure if you learn from it. No. And and training ground is where we want to fail. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. want to. We, that is the goal. Like, let's figure out where we're going to fail on the training ground so that we can not fail when we mm-hmm. get to the real deal. Absolutely. Exactly. Uh, and and if you're an officer and you're allowing your people to fail on the training ground, that's fine. But if you don't say something about it, right? If you don't say, like, you know, a guy's not wearing his gear properly, he's not doing something properly, you just, eh, good enough. Well, eh, good enough is not good enough. Excellence is the only option, you know? So as an officer, your job is to make sure you fix those things. But should an officer fail? Of course an officer can fail. And then he can't be so um, ego-driven that he won't admit that failure. Or, right. listen, if you're going to fail, you might say to you guys, hey, listen, what would you think happened there? Well, you know, how could we have done that better? Because if I fail as an officer, we fail as a team. Mm. You know, if you fail as a firefighter, we fail as a team. Right on. So right on, brother. No, I love it. Uh, John Patton coming. Chief, give us your thoughts on face-to-face with your companies versus radio communication. Where do you fall? Um, when they get on the scene, um, I want to see them face-to-face. Again, like I said, my, my first alarm companies are going to do their business, right? If I want a company to do something before they get there, I'll get them on the radio. Um, but other than that, it's, it, it's, it's face-to-face. I'm not sitting down the block in the car. Um, and this is where he said, and he had this quote a little bit similar, you know, somewhat right. Command presence starts with being present. Vince Lombardi never coached the game from the locker room. You know, um, the most experienced guys should be on the fire. You know, the ones that most responsible. I want to you know what I notice. I want to see the in-service and ready status of my companies. I want to I want to drink in that fire. I want to sink my teeth into it. And I want to see those guys ready to go. That's why I like the face-to-face. That's why I like that. But that having been said, I need progress reports from around the fire ground. 
I, I, you know, I got exposures. I got an interior division. I got a roof division. I got a Delta and a Bravo. I'm going to ask for progress reports from those guys. And based on that, the companies that I have for my tactical reserve, which hopefully I have at that point, all I'm doing is moving the shells. That's all I'm doing, you know. And and the guy, one guy did talk about tactical reserve. And I, I forgot to talk about that a little bit. Tactical reserve is, uh, is, is a requirement if your incident is still escalating. But the rule of thumb I always use, if my incident is still escalating and I don't have at least three companies with nothing to do with the command post, I'm striking another alarm. Nice, nice. I, I just don't, and I don't care where they're coming from. Everybody wants to come in with fire, but I don't. I, 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 my, my goal is to have people with nothing to do, you know, because the people in in those buildings are going to get tired, and and, and if I don't have people to spell them, and you know, listen, our companies come quick, but it seems like forever. I'm sure with a lot of departments and a lot bigger response areas, you know, it is forever, you know. But you know, you should always be striving if the incident's still escalating for a tactical reserve. No, I love, I love binaries. I love simple things that you can teach people, especially new people into the position. <clears throat> and I love things where you can say, if I don't have at least three companies with nothing to do, I'm striking an alarm. And it's escalating. You know what I'm saying? Like you got the you got the qualifier yeah. in there. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Um mm-hmm. new book. I want I want to I want to get to the I want to talk about fourth edition because it's coming out. Uh, I'm, okay. I'm pausing I'm pausing the questions for a minute, even though there's there's still a ton of questions. So I'm not ignoring the questions, but I do want to talk about the book. Uh Firegun Strategies, fourth edition, it's coming out. Yeah. Well, oh. it, um, yeah. Already, it's been amazing, but the stuff coming that 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 is going to be in there. You're talking about uh, command considerations for active shooter, civil unrest, uh, the new building construction, uh, lithium ion stuff. It's all going to be in this book, man. I'm I'm super stoked because it was it was already a phenomenal book to begin with. Well, thank you, man. Thank you. Listen, I steal everything that's in there. By the way, hundred percent. Hey, there's nothing new since since nah. Ben Franklin. You know, so. Nah. Um, but I just, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm going, I'm just about done with the second run through. I have, uh, pretty much, uh, most of the pictures in place now. I have 150 new pictures in there. Um, uh, Ron Jeffers, great, great photographer from the North Hudson area, Jersey city. Great, great pictures. Damian Dennis, another guy from North Jersey, a lot of great pictures. Um, but I got a lot of stuff in there on, on, uh, on, uh, newer type construction, the the, um, the 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 new like tall mass timber stuff, and right. you know that's, that's all new stuff, you know. And and I'm not proposing that that I know everything about it. I'm just gonna be I'm gonna be talking about it, and then you know asking questions about it, you know, like you know that the jury's out on this stuff, you know. And uh, there, you know, I'm, I'm also utilizing uh, where the NFPA 1700 now uses exterior control and interior control. So I've I've sort of changed my terminologies to that a little bit um again some 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 other things that like uh um with transitional uh attack and you know um potentially using like a a bumper line you know for your transition line if it's down the alley while the other guys are you know uh preparing the attack line at the front door what 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 was to say we're not going to stretch all the way down stretch all the way back you know just one guy take the bumper line down throw some water in the window and then we just go in you know you know, and there's other things that, you know, the, the, you know, bewaring of the structural carcass, the building we've lost that we killed right. too many guys standing around. Um, the, uh, what, what else do I got there? Um, I, interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm talking a little bit about RIT as well. And uh, one of the things that I, I came up with was a thing called the RAT. 
and 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 the rat is is the rapid assist is the writ assist team, and the rat is part of your tactical reserve. But they are only committed to the writ if the writ goes to work. So if you're an engine company in, in a tactical reserve, and I tell you you got the rat, you may do a little bit of of you know scouting with the writ team, but you don't you still can go into fire building as an engine company. But if the writ gets activated. You go with them and, and you know, you're going to help them. You may have to bring equipment. The thing is, everybody can be a rat, but not everybody can be a writ. You know, mm. the idea is I, I can I, out of my tactical reserve, I can rotate the rats around, you know, and uh, it's it because it's sort of an anti frenzy mechanism where you get a mayday. You know, everybody starts to go berserk and, and you're looking for people and all that. Now I got an extra company just to help the writ handle their initial duties, you know. So that's one thing. The next thing is uh, I put in there was about accountability. You know, how many departments have no accountability officers? Right, right. You know, when I was in Weehawk and I used to have to write on the car with a marker, you know, sometimes it was permanent and it wasn't a dry erase. You know, <laughs> and after the fire. A little Sharpie action. Yeah. But the accountability, you know, there's two ways to do it. One, you're a volunteer department. You got these old guys that don't come on. They, they still come into the scene, but you know they're outside guys now. They're ex-chiefs and everything else. Why can't that be your accountability officer mm-hmm. and advisor, right? And then the other thing, which is a novel idea, that I know you know the the, the love affair will end here tonight. Um, why can't your RIT team, after softening the structure, be your accountability team? Why can't they run your rehab, run your command board, do all that stuff? Because what's the most important thing, thing that Rick needs to know? They need to know where right, everybody is. Exactly. Yeah. So while they're standing by after softening the structure, they can run the accountability board. You know, so these kind of things are, you know, that's in the book. And, you know, there's there's a there's a lot of new stuff in there, knee walls and dead man rooms and um, you know, just just a, I'm I'm really excited for it. I I it listen, it, it's gonna be the last edition. Um but uh, and it was the last one was going to be the last edition. But <laughs> Brunicini, Alan Brunacini said to me, "Well, why in the world would you want to do that?" And it was about a month before he passed away, and I gave him my leadership book, and he said, "Well, what are you doing with the other book?" I said, "Ah, third edition should have said last edition." And he said, "Well, why would you want to do that? You have a brand. You're still valid. You, you know, you're still here at the FDIC editorial board. You're still doing." He goes, "Wait, the fourth edition." So. You know what? The fourth edition is going to have, uh, you know, there's a lot in there. You know, there'll be a dedication with Alan Brunacini and, and Ed Flood. Ed Flood passed away two years oh. ago, you know, and, uh, um, you know, um, that was a big loss, big loss for me, you know. And uh, we thank God I got his genius on paper and full contact leadership because, listen, there's a lot of leaders out there and I've seen a lot of leaders and I've met a lot of leaders. There is no one holds a candle to Ed Flood. No one. Wow. <laughs> And That's high praise, high praise. But uh, you know, it, it helped me get where I was. Where the I fourth am. edition is the last edition. That's what that's what you're saying. Yeah, you know why I stepped down, give it to somebody else. By the time by the time that's out seven years or whatever, I'll six. I'll be off the job like fifteen years. You know? I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not Alan Brunacini, but I'm gonna say, why would you want to do that? <laughs> there you go. You heard it here first. Why would you want to do that? So fourth yeah, edition is coming soon, there, though. There may be another leadership book in there or something. But okay, okay. Uh, uh, lithium. Speaking of lithium ion, Cody Brooks wanted to know, Chief, have you heard about the new stuff from lithium ion batteries called cell block? Anything like that? No, I have not. 
I have not heard of it. So I was just throwing it out there. Uh, I wonder if it's a um, like a, a suppression prevention type thing where, you know, um, almost like with the solar panels where they in, in England, they have those things that almost like extinguishers and they, they make the solar panel opaque. And it's oh, really transmission. Yeah, yeah. We don't we don't have it in America yet. But I'm okay. wondering if that's something people, somebody's coming up with that, you know, when you get that thermal runaway one to the right. other, to the other, to the other, maybe maybe that that that'll do that. I have to look. I have to look at that. I'm not done with the book yet. It may wind up in there. Might be there. You hear it? No. And it may be something that gets in. It just kind of breaks that thermal runaway chain. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Listen, you know what? We got to come up with something because there's some dangerous shit. Four people were killed today in, in an e-bike repair store in New York City. Crazy. And, and they and are on the tip of the spear when it comes to the lithium ion with the amount yeah. they're facing. Uh, coming at you from JLo once again, Chief, how important is it for the officer to engage themselves in training with their crew even when they fail? Oh, it's very similar to the answer I said before. If you're an officer, if you're an officer, not trained crew and, and, and taking part in the training, I used to do my best to take part in the training. Even as a, as a deputy, I came up with a bunch of the drills, you know, and, uh, right, right. Uh, you know, uh, you have to take part in the training and, and, and part of the training is, is, you know, not always getting it right. And maybe sometimes, and this was for me was, it was a great one was, uh, I was, uh, when I first became a captain, I didn't, I come out of college, you know, I was a, didn't know the difference between a wiffle ball bat and a screwdriver. I had good, com- good firefighters. And, you know, when we went on squad runs, you know, boiler problems and, uh, you know, uh, uh, malfunctions of, of, of boilers and electrical problems and water leaks. I didn't know what I, I had to learn as I went, but I had great firefighters that taught me a lot about those things. So as an officer, Tap into the resources that your people have, you know, tap into their, their, their talents. You know, it's, it's really important. Your firefighters can teach you a lot. And, and again, you can teach them a lot, but the thing, a, a great officer will also admit when he doesn't know something, right? You know, his ego can't be that big that he can't say, well, they, I, they know more than me. You know? Listen, if, if they know more than, and they pass it on to you, just like you pass it up, now the company, you know, and there's a great book out there for first-time officers. And if I may throw a plug out there, Frank Montagna from New York City, he was a, a, a battalion. He wrote a book called Responding to Routine Emergencies. And it's all about those things, gas leaks and water leaks and electrical problems. And it helped me a real lot as a first company officer. I don't even know if it's still in print. I think it is, but I'm not 100% sure. Nice. There you go. So many resources. Pull it up. Get make sure I got every everything. I'm not wanting to leave anybody out. There's so many questions coming at you, Chief. And this is what I always tell people is make sure when you get time in the future, go back and look at the video and look at all the comments because uh last count it was around two hundred and something on comments. So wow. you're getting you're getting wow. a very small sim- snippet from me as I pull out. There's a ton more that you're missing as I uh, pull out the highlights. That, that's great for this old friggin' smoke <laughs> no. eater, you know. I'm 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 really uh Really honored to be, to be in the show with you here tonight, and and you know I'm I'm, I'm floored, man. I'm floored. Dude, bro, thank I, you for I, thank you for for you know and the, and the people out there, man, and the dedication, the passion. I love the audience. The, hey, here's here's the two things I always say, and I'll say it at the end of the show, like I always do. Is a the audience makes the scrap magical because they ask the best questions, and then the guests. Mm-hmm. I still am blown away by the fact that I get to sit here on my 
today it's a Tuesday evening and just and just talk to one of the uh fire service giants. I mean I I'm not trying to like put you Thank on the spot, you. but that's the truth, man. You wrote Fireground Strategies and you yeah. So anyway, long story short, uh, I'm blown away by it. So thank you very much. Um, final questions coming at you. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm looking at these last three. Uh, how do you attempt? This comes from Leighton Hoxang. I'm man. I I butcher it every time I try. Leighton, I'm sorry. How do you attempt to correct bad habits and lead those who don't respect the house chores, don't respect the leadership, and act like they are unaffected by written reprimands? Coming from a lieutenant perspective, is what he says. So somebody just doesn't care if he gets written up and doesn't care about tradition. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of people out there with a lot of, a lot, a lot of personnel problems, man. <laughs> Brother, uh, welcome to the scrap. Yeah. Cause that's the questions. That yeah. 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 Week. Listen, you know what? Um, sometimes, and it's the last thing you, last card you want to play is the bludgeoning, you know, some people you're not you're not going to get through to un until you threaten their job, you know. Sometimes you got to play hardball. And uh, here's what I always say as as an officer: my ability and the bling I got on my collar as a deputy can make a battalion or a captain or a firefighter a lot more uncomfortable than they can make me. Now that's also a function of the support the department gives you, you know. So if I'm getting lip from you know from from a captain. You know, or whatever, or and and I never did, but you know, very rarely. But right, you know, right. Well, your day is not going to get any friggin' better unless you straighten your ass out and we talk about this. And I get the and, and I'll explain why it is that you have to do what you have to do. But these are the things you can't get frustrated. And this is why you got the stuff on your collar. If you're anybody can lead when the waters are calm. Your job is to lead when when the slope is slippery. You know when 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 things are not going that well, because if you can't do that in a firehouse, I don't expect you to do it in a fire ground either. You have to be a, a 24 seven leader, you know? And what I would do is if I was that Lieutenant, I would consult with my superior or a colleague that I respected, maybe a lateral colleague, another Lieutenant. And you gotta get, you, you can't go to work and be frustrated because you know what's going to happen. You're going to go home and kick your dog. Mm. That's what's going to happen. You have to take care of your business. And if you're not taking care of your business in the firehouse, then who else is going to do that? You know, it's it, listen, it's easy for me to stay sitting here, say sitting here, touchdown, right? Yeah. It's easy to say that sitting here, but I've been there. Okay. And understand that the, the power of the pins that you're wearing have some weight in, in bringing people into the fold because there may be times that, you know, well, the day's not going to get better if 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 they're not going to be in the fall. And you don't you know you don't care about being written up. Well, you know what? How do you care about being suspended? How do you care about losing your job? Right. How about that? I don't care. You know, my if you want to play hardball, I'll go there. But that's never where I want to go. Never where I want to go. And right. a lot of times that happens because we don't set the proper expectations. The department is not supporting what we're doing, and we're not setting the proper expectations. So, you know, um, what I would say to you, young man, is read full contact leadership and then give it to your, your superiors. I love it. I, I cannot argue whatsoever, man. Thank you for a, another great answer. Um, with all that being said, I'm going to move on and say, I always like to ask this question, book or books, obviously full contact leadership, 
obviously fireground strategies, but book or books that you think firefighters should be reading. Okay. Uh, Collapse of Burning Buildings by Uncle Vinny Dunn. Vinny, yeah. I was on my my uh, promotional lists and uh, um, also building construction for the fire service. If you don't understand building construction, you don't belong on a job. You don't belong commanding anybody. Um, John Norman, Fire Officer Handbook of Tactics, great book. Um, there's a great book out there, and, and I recommend this to everybody, and it's a very difficult book to get. It's called Winning the Fire Service Leadership Game, and it's written by a guy named Hugh Caulfield. Hugh Caulfield was the special projects manager for the New York City Fire Department. And whenever somebody had a problem with personnel in their, in their battalion, in their company, this guy would come in. And he, he wrote a great book about how games are played in the firehouse. And, uh, and you know, um, we could talk all day about this one. Right. Uh, right. You know, but how games are played in the firehouse and, uh, you know, um, you can, the game, the job's not on the level and you could always be hurt. So the most important thing is play the game as close to the chest as possible and play the game as close to the rules and regulations as you can, understanding that the people above you may not be playing the game by those rules. But you can't do anything about that because they're your superiors. But if, you, but if you're not playing the game by the rules by the rules, and your superior is, now he's going to come down on you. Like it's, it's a really interesting dynamic, the book. It's actually the, you know, the father of full contact leadership. It's really okay. the full and, and the name of that one was, say it again? Winning the Fire Service Leadership Game by Hugh Caulfield. Tremendous book. All right. I love it. I, no, I haven't yeah, heard you know, Yeah, you yeah. um, I'm just trying to think. Well, Frank Ritchie's book I'm reading right now, Command Presence. I right. really like it. Um, Frank Ritchie is uh, one, really, really a great, great friend. But his book is set up in such so that um, it's easy to read. It's in chunks. And and that's what Frank's good at because Frank is Frank's a chunk guy, you know. Um that that's a really, really good book. And like I said, Norman's book I read a million times, uh Brunacini's book. Um Yeah, off the top of my head, like, you know, Safety and Survival on a Fire Ground by Uncle Vinny. You know, brother. Just great, great, great books out there and uh, you know, extremely um chock full of information, you know, for me. Bad you know, brother, you said Vincent Dunn, you said John Norman, you said Alan Brunacini, <laughs> Frank Ricci. Uh, no, without a doubt, brother, that's an amazing list right there. If if that's yeah. all you read, then you're going to be a better off firefighter. So I absolutely love that answer. Um, now, Chief, we have a thing we've done. This is your number 197 on the scrap. And we have a thing we've done for 197 scraps. For the first 120 or so, we did the five questions for firefighters. Right. Excuse me. And then we changed them, and then we made it the next five questions for firefighters, which is what I'm going to throw at you tonight. We're getting ready to get the whatever the next next is going to be called. But okay. uh, for all that being said, uh, the answers are 100% your opinion. There is okay. no right or wrong. And then the points are arbitrary. They're assigned by me with the help of the audience. And so my question for you, first of all, is are you ready for the next five questions for firefighters? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Let me get my let me get my sheet ready here. Oh, All right, here we go. Number one, two, Chief Anthony Avila. What single characteristic makes the difference between a run of the mill firefighter and the go to 
top tier badass firefighter? Passion. Passion will move you towards every success that you will ever have. If you don't have passion for the job, you don't belong in the job. I'm going to keep it short. I like it. No, brother. You had it at Pat. On passion, I love passion, first of all. I'm mm-hmm. a passionate person. I love passionate people. I love passionate answers. But then you explained, passion will move you towards every goal. 100% max point. Yeah, Gregory Allen says max points. Thank you. Yeah, max <laughs> points, max points. There they come. There they come. Yeah, they're, they're flying in. Max, max, max from Sean Bryan. No, there they go. Okay. Uh, he said he's going to keep it short, so I will try to do the same. Number two, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice as a rookie, what would it be? Clean my gear. I I was guilty of – I used to put my hands in my pockets and my fingernails would come out dirty. You know, uh, I, we wore black gear, you know, and I could just imagine what it must have looked like if you if you put it in water, you know. Um I've, I've tried to do that as, as, you know, the, as time has gone on, you know, and I'm a big advocate of cleaning the gear now, but you know, my first 20 years on a job easy, maybe my first 25, you know, we just didn't clean the gear, you know, it was, it was the salty generation, you know, and uh, if I had to do it over again, I would clean my gear because God knows what, you know, what can happen between now and, and uh, tomorrow. I'm telling you right now. I, I, I'm gonna re- I'm gonna read you what people are saying, but I'm gonna tell you this. That's the first time anyone has ever said that as an answer to number two, which is go back in time, because what you're doing is taking the knowledge we have now and going back in time to mm-hmm. when we were ignorant and we loved being smoky and sooty and covered in mm-hmm. and covered in cancer, basically. Yeah, and and, 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 and I wore my mask. I wore my yeah. mask, but we didn't have hoods back then, you know, and, and you know, your gloves would be filthy and you'd, you'd take them off and then you'd eat something and, you know, you'd bite your nails, you know. Or even if you wore a hood, you just took it down and wore it around your neck for the next hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%, man. And there we go. That's what <laughs> People said max points, max, 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 max points, max points, max, max, maximum. Not even a question on this one, MP. Most excellent answer. Truth is the new. I should have these people working for me, (laughs) dude. Hey, it's a great answer. They're not saying it. They believe me. If that wasn't Max, they would not be saying it. You absolutely crushed that. I've never heard that before. Excellent Mm -hmm. answer, my brother. Number three. What is your favorite training drill? Um, (laughs) we did on my shift a knock gauntlet and we um set it up i mean i lots of different i've drilled for you i love throwing ladders i love doing that but the best one we did and we didn't even know how well it would come out it was somewhere close to when i was retiring we, we did two drills well first one was a knock gauntlet and the knock gauntlet we put out a piece of paper and it had all the knots you needed to have all the tools you needed to tie up and what we did was we sent it out uh around 4th of July, just before 4th of July, to all the battalions. And uh, we, we didn't know how if people were going to buy into it or not, you know. Sure. And, uh, the way it worked out was uh, at the end of August, we wanted a, a company winner. At the end of uh, September, uh, end of August, well, we wanted a company winner. A couple of weeks later, we wanted the battalion winner. And then we had the championships, right? So... We didn't know if it was going to take off. We set up all kinds of rules. I had my safety officer was the was the ultimate <laughs> scorekeeper. 
And uh, what happened was we'd, we'd start to hear guys going out in the afternoon up to Hudson County Park in the 3rd Battalion. And, uh, you know, we, we don't know what they're doing. But what happens is where we are, you get guys from the 1st Battalion and 2nd Battalion detailing to the 3rd Battalion. Now they go up there and like, hey, these guys are practicing. So now that you get a second battalion going out and a first battalion, and now the bravado and everybody chest thumping and all this thing takes on a life of its own. And uh, it was a great, great experience. It was a spree de corps. It was teamwork. It was motivation and action. It was it was all the things that you want your shift to do, you know. And, and my shift was like 65 guys, you know. And we wound up having the championship. And all we did, we had this piece of wood that we stained. And we just put a, a, a piece of rope with, like, I think it had a figure eight, figure eight on a, you know. And we, yeah. we nailed it to it. We put group one, you know, 2014 or whatever, uh, you know, not gauntlet champion. And, and what happened was at the end, we wound up taking five years and less and five years and more. And we pitted those two guys against each other. And it was two guys from the same company. Wow. So it was uh, it was a really cool sort of leadership in action type of drill. You know, it, it was it was my favorite. We've done tons of drills that were really cool. This one was was the coolest. <laughs> Again, uh, Gregory Allen said max points. Competition breeds excellence. Max points for sure. Yes, mm-hmm. if you don't use it, you lose it. Max points for knots. Coming from Sean Bride, who obviously loved knots, but. Mm-hmm. Um, Brother, when you the the esprit de corps that you described in that story of the people taking control of it and and growing with it, man, I love I love ownership, that, man. man. Ownership, give them ownership. Um, number four, uh, max points. By the way, three for three. No pressure on number four. What mistake have you learned the most from in your fire service career? What mistake have I learned the most from in my fire service career? Um, probably not to <laughs> disrespect my superiors. <laughs> I had a, I, I, well, some there would be times that I, you know, my passion would sort of get the best of me, and uh, what I felt was was the right thing, and uh, sometimes politics got in the way, and, and uh, I'm dealing with something very similar to that right now, uh, not on the fire department, and right. I'm not really going to talk about it, but um, I wound up, you know, pissing off the chief of department one time because uh, so something had gone on, and uh, um, it affected the whole department, and, and I, I stepped out, and I said, you know what, chief, don't you ever stick up for us, and I said it in front of a couple of battalion chiefs, and Immediately, I regretted it, and and you know, Flood called me on it. One of the directors called me and said, you know, you hurt you hurt him, and uh, you know, and and the next day I came in, and uh, he said to me, I you know, I apologized to him, and I said, listen, I was I was I was heated, you know, you know, I'm I'm passionate, and he said, you know what your job is, your job is to make me happy. The battalions make you happy. The captains make them happy. The firefighters make the captains happy. I make the directors happy. They make the mayors happy. He goes, that entails a lot of things, but you know what? You didn't make me happy that day. He goes, I could write you up for insubordination. I could pull you off the line, but I'm not going to do that. I'm I'm just going to let you know that I was disappointed in in your leadership qualities that day. I felt horrible, horrible. 
and uh, I learned the lesson. I'm apologizing to this day to that guy, by the way. Oh, wow. Wow. But I you know, like be be humble. Understand there there are, are are other things at play that you might not understand, um, and don't let your emotions get the best of you. As I said earlier, emotions and ego can't be with leadership and rank, and you know I, I violated that, you know, and uh, not my best moment. Beautiful. Hey, beautiful. Hey, regardless of it not being your best moment, I love whenever someone ties a answer to the five questions to something they were made a lesson out of earlier and you absolutely did it. So four for four max points, which brings us to the final question. Number five, heavy fire, searchable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on a vent inner search? I'm a ladder guy with a ladder mentality. Anybody can pull hose. Anybody can squirt water. You, if you're a ladder guy, you should be able to. I, <laughs> I did a, I did a thing for Jimmy Silvernail's book, and it's about the ladder mentality. And you're a ladder guy. You should be able to fight through locks and roofs, and you know, rip people from the fiery jaws of death. And you know, I'm, I have a ladder mentality, so I'm going with the vent and the search immediately. There is no doubt. But I'm going to make sure I get in there and sweep the floor before I go in for a victim and get in there and close that friggin' door before I search and then get the hell out of that. You know? Right on. Yeah. Chief Flood used to be my ladder officer and he used to say, truck 222 responding in anger. I <laughs> love it. Uh, and so, John Patton said, truck guy. Hell yeah. James Mitchellisco said 100. Uh, VES, VES, he's a truck guy from Sean Bryan. Uh, breach. Yeah, there's so much going on right there. Uh, yeah, I'm right. better at breaking things than putting them back together. True truck mentality. I absolutely love it. Hell yeah. From BJ Breacher said, maximum max points. If you ain't chucking ladders, you ain't trucking. The ladders was in parentheses, by the way. Uh, so it. there you go. Hey, congratulations. Officially, five for five, max points. And and. Answers I hadn't heard before. So I really want to say this from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Because originality, man, it's tough after a hundred people have been answering the same questions. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, unbelievably I was impressed uh, by it, man. Thanks, my brother. I appreciate that, man. I'm 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 humbled to be on this show. And all the people out here on it, man. That is that is the coolest thing, man. No, the and you, should, you should be very proud of what you put together here. Brother, I'm humbled and proud. It's it's this weird thing where I'm so proud of what we do each week, but I'm also extremely humbled that like you agree to come and the audience agrees to come hang out and ask questions. Yeah, so it's so a weird, cool. it's a weird, yeah, I love it. I absolutely it's am big, proud of it. It's um, a big love fest, man. Yes. Fire service is a love fest. That dude, that that it really does encapsulate it. And that officially, with your answers, makes it 197 scraps in the books. Anthony Avillo. An amazing evening. If someone wants to get a hold of you, what is the best way to do so? Uh, generally, my, my email is the best. Um, I'm on Facebook. You can get me through the messenger. But my email is the best. It's it's deputy1, you know, like deputy chief with the number one, deputy1 at optonline, O-P-T-online, all one word, dot net. Deputy1 at optonline.net. So, Beautiful. yeah, listen, I, I – Anybody wants to contact me, man, I'm, I'm, I'll always answer. I will always answer whoever contacts me, you know, and, uh, you know, all good. All Beautiful. Good. I want to read this one. Gregory Allen said this. He said, great answers, dot, dot, dot. 
Best one was wash the gear. Every probie needs to hear that answer. And I wanted to read that because it really is that important. And someone said it earlier, and I, I missed it. Whoever said it, I'll scroll if I can find it. Because it's kind of a... No, I already lost it. But it basically said, a salty dog who still says, wash the gear. Because that's the mentality we came from. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Hey, listen, no. uh, you know, I'm a street kid. I'll always be a street kid. There you go. There you go. Uh, that officially makes it 197 scraps of the book. Vigilantes. Uh, if you want to be a part of the Vigilantes, go to firehousevigilance.com. You can sign up there. It's five bucks a month. Price of a cup of coffee. It's amazing. We do all sorts of stuff in there. We got private forums where we discuss stuff. We just did the wall bombs fire with Rob Fisher. It was awesome. Uh, we do what's called the scrap after party, which we're getting ready to do here in a few minutes. Uh, we have vigilante meetups every every conference where we get together and kind of chat because we're vigilantes. The coolest part, and I'm, I'm, I really mean this because I put this together for myself, and um, it was I, I. It's my own thing, and I've never been able to complete it. It's called the V90. I've never been able to complete it, but now I'm going to do it. With the vigilantes, and I told him this, you know, I kind of explained to him, I've like, I made it to day 45, I've made it to day 63, I've never made it to day 90, and I want to make myself uh, accountable to you. And I thought like five or six of the vigilantes would do it. We're like at like 75 people who are going to do this together. It's like really cool. And so if there's no pressure on me to actually make it to day 90, but uh, so that being said, be a part of it. The scrap after party is coming. Um, what else do I need to do? Uh, I hyped that. Yes. Coming up next week, Ryan McCormick, man, first in fire conference, Arkansas, what he's got going on. Amazing. Clark Lamping. He is the week after number 199 out of Vegas, uh, which will take us to number 200. And man, what a, what a benchmark. I don't know if anybody's ready for Kurt and all that energy that is going to be number 200. So my brother, Anthony Avillo, thank you for being such an awesome guest. Thank you, my brother. I really appreciate it. And thanks for everybody out there that is is living the passion. And, and, and you know, it's all about the job, man. Vigilantes, if you're going to be a part of this scrap after party, look in the private group. I'll post a link. We'll be in here talking about this scrap. Uh, Anthony is the guest. You're, of course, welcome to invite you. I had no pressure, but you're you're invited to come hang out for – it's only okay. 20 minutes. 20 minutes no matter okay. what. I've told people – I'll explain it in there, but uh, audience, you guys are really the ones that make the scrap magical. Thank you for tuning in live. I love you all. Remember, mutts don't scrap. I hope the tone stays silent unless it is burning. Everybody stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to the weekly scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.